Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Uh, I think Tom's out there somewhere. William Hastings is dead, my friend. He is dead. William Hastings, he's, he is dead. What, Dude, we predicted it. We thought, uh, we thought his head was going to explode, and it did. <laughs> you thought his head would explode when he entered the zone, but he didn't get into the zone. He didn't even leave the uh, squad car. Well, that's what we're here talking about, episode 11, which we're part 11 we just watched. Uh, we just watched Bill Hastings' head explode. Uh, I don't think it had enough Pulp Fiction blood for my taste, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts about the, uh, the whole series, or the whole episode as a whole? Uh, well, fantastic episode again. I, you know, all of them have been great. This one um, had such a frenetic pace. I mean, after the first scene, which was of the, uh, the boys playing catch and and uh, they stumble upon or find Miriam, who is not dead. And uh, but after that scene, we had this frenetic pace um, with Becky um, hunting down Stephen, and then we just went right into the zone, and it just kind of kept going. And then it kind of slowed down the second half. But overall, I thought it was a fantastic episode, and one of my favorite scenes. Um, was an exposition scene, but the, for me, the best kind of exposition um, with Hawk, with his, uh, was it a living map? His is living map? Was? Is that what he said? <laughs> a living map? I'm not sure if there's some mystical forces that get that update it currently, or, you know, to keep it current, what, what that means, but uh, yeah, he did call it a living map. The living map, yeah. And I just loved that scene, and I loved how when Truman pointed out the uh, symbol that was on Major Briggs' Uh, message to them, which is on Mr. C's plane. Yeah, card. the old mother, the mother symbol. There it is. And uh, and, and Hawk was like, <laughs> "You don't ever want to know what that is." Yeah. And well, it sounded so, kind of like what uh, yeah, uh, what's his name from Mulholland Drive in in, in Vegas, uh, Duncan said about Mr. C's that you don't ever want to know someone like him. Right. So, right. Uh, well, what did you think about the episode? Uh, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I mean, a lot. I mean, it was, there was also a lot of exposition. Like, there's the last three episodes. I think we've heard a lot of exposition. People telling us about things that have, that have happened or whatnot. But I thought it was great. Um, I really enjoyed it. I uh, loved the Bobby stuff. Was uh, was wild and weird. Um, I, the scene, dude. We we're gonna get to, to everything. But the scene where he ran into the lady uh, outside who had shot uh, through the double R on accident, or the kid had, and they saw that kid who was. Was was it dead? But it came like was rose from the dead in the car, uh, and just Bobby was amazed. That was a surreal fucking scene. I have no that idea was, what that, was going on there. That lady was that was the lady who was you know laying on the horn. And that whole scene to me reminded me of the scene in Firewalk with Me where the one-armed man was tailing Leland and Laura and uh, kind of pulled around and they're both revving their engines and yeah I thought the same thing I was like this is very reminds me of uh, the one our man in Firewalk with me freaking out yeah it was just it uh, kind of echoes of that um, and just that, with that, the ending of that scene with the, the woman just screaming hysterically looking like the seatbelt was like choking her 
um, I, I was trying to follow the dialogue, and it was like, okay, she knows the people that were just ahead of uh, ahead of her, ahead of her, and who, the little boy who shot the gun. She saw that, and then she mentions that uh, she's sick. We've got to get, you know, we got to go, and then out of the darkness of the passenger seat, yeah. we see. <laughs> This I thought it was a boy, but it is clearly a girl. Just rise up like a zombie, and start you know vomiting up some green bile. Yeah, so I don't know if this is like another that. sparkle casualty, but that, kid that was, was too young to be taking sparkle. No way, as a kid, that was a little kid. Yeah, I, I mean that's the only thing. That also, I, I, I thought could, when it was it rose up like that, it, didn't it kind of seem like like when. Uh, Mr. C got uh, his got Bob removed from him by the Dugpas or the Woodsman. They lifted his head up at a certain point and kind of had him like looking at Ray, yeah, which I imagine yeah. would have been a real fucking bizarre shot to have Cooper's head, you know. But the same thing, it, like it looked like somebody was moving that the body of that child. Yeah, like, it was maybe the Woodsman. At first, I thought maybe like like um, the woman did like there wasn't a, another person in the car and they were freaking out and then Bobby was looking like because he wouldn't know but then I, I put it together obviously she said you know she's sick meaning whoever this this person was I don't know if it was her daughter or niece or what have you she mentions an uncle who um, was I think supposed to meet them all for dinner and here we are with another um, late dinner. It reminded me of the Morgans, you know, coming over to Phyllis and Bill's house. I wish it would have been like we're meeting the Morgans for dinner, but uh, alas, that did not happen. Well, it tied but, into the whole thing that we talked about. I think last podcast that you were talking about was that like the whole town's going crazy, you know, yeah. and not even that, but just the whole country. And it kind of tied into like gun control, you know, a little bit of Mark Frost writing in the, involved with having the sure. kid, you, you know, accidentally shoot the the gun, you know, because the dad was a hunter probably and didn't, you know didn't properly store it so um but it did feel like that you know as soon as becky screamed like that i was like "Uh uh-oh the whole fucking town's going crazy and that's kind of what we saw yeah we're seeing that we're seeing the town like um most of the storylines that we've been seeing have been you know whether it's violence or you know drug abuse um, you know, murder. Obviously, there's obviously in Twin Peaks, it's it's not below the surface anymore. It's like you know invaded the, the whole town. And just thinking about this particular episode, and we'll talk about everything, but to see the magical effect that Dougie, you know, Cooper as Dougie has on everyone around him, and now he has somehow um, got the Mitchum brothers. To you know, lighten up. Obviously, obviously, they didn't kill him, well, and they're like the best friend. It just seems like he's <laughs> well, that, that's helpful. Yeah, but it just seems like he, his presence himself, he's is a magic real, man. He's, he's really a, magic a magic man. man. Yeah. So maybe that's what's going to happen is when he returns to Twin Peaks. That's the return. You know, coupled with Laura somehow. Yeah, everyone thought well, Laura was the Messiah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, let's start the. Uh, let's go. Um, yeah, let's go, go through. Top or, yeah, you got notes, so go for it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, we started off with the scene um, with the, the, the boys playing catch. And the, the main uh, boy playing catch is actually Mark Frost's son, um, who um, went and discovered or saw Miriam's body and then told, I guess, his brother to call the cops. But it made me think about how inept little Dickie Horn is because on a rewatch of part 10, you know, when he busted in her door and I thought he, I thought he shot her. And it looked obviously like she was dead, but he set the gas, you know, he turned the gas on and, and lit a candle, hopefully that, you know, hoping that the trailer would explode. But since he busted that door open, which leave, left a huge gap in the door, wouldn't that like, you know, let all the gas escape? 
And uh, yeah, I think there's also, there's also windows open. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's and it was just also going. a trailer, so the trailer probably wouldn't you know be very airtight. So yeah, he's an idiot. Right. He's a, he's he's a really idiot. he's a two bit cro- crook. I think that's one thing. He's in over his head. I don't think yeah. that he's naturally like I watched uh, uh, episode six again, and he looked the way he looked like a little scared kid with red. You know, I think he's really like in. Just, I don't think he's going to be some evil Bob uh, beast here at the end of the. Well, we got season. we thought at least he's I just thought a pretender. Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I thought originally his first scene was like pure menace and pure evil at the roadhouse yeah. with the little yeah. smoking babies, yeah. and ever since that scene, he's become more and more inept and uh, like <laughs> it's an entitled little dicky whore. But, uh, but we didn't but see as, this episode. No, we, we did. We saw see his bad uh, murder work. Like it didn't work out because Miriam <laughs> was still awake. She's still alive. She staggers right. over. She's crawling out of the woods because she uh, lived through that, which is not going to be good for him. So. So yeah, we moved to the uh, Fat Trot trailer park, and and it just it just cuts right. It's just the energy level is you know turned up you know to full maximum with Becky on a phone call. Now I don't know who it is she's talking to, but obviously the person that uh, called her that she's speaking with has told her that Stephen is with another woman fooling around. Yeah, they're fooling around, and she's in hysterics. <clears throat> she doesn't have a car, so she calls Shelly, and then Shelly comes over. And um, she, Becky just can't can't see anything, but you know, like you know, just you know, Stephen, you know, in flagrante delicto, um, with well, someone. She's also sparkled out, obviously, right? Well, maybe that, yeah, yeah, maybe. But you know, one thing with kind of like a little little Scorsese vibe, like a little Scorsese light. You know, they're trying to like the strung out, you know, going crazy. It was like a wacky scene, you know, with car antics and stuff. Yeah, I would. I, I never would have guessed that uh, any Lynch production would have a scene with someone. Like you know, on a car, like the hood of a car, <laughs> while it was Shelly on the hood, and of it's Shelly, it's Shelly. It yeah. No, look at Shelly's stunt double. That wasn't Shelly. Well, I, I saw a, a Shelly stunt double for sure when she got tossed. Uh, yeah. But her, her own daughter just like <laughs> completely out of control. Well, when, a couple dude, of come on, a couple of things um, with Miriam. You know that that first scene, she's wearing some kind of like robe, and it has flowers on it. Becky is wearing some kind of jacket which has flowers on it. There have been, like with the red balloons, there have been so many visual motifs. But a lot, like Lucy's had flowers on her like outfits. There have just been this, this obviously the blue rose, like all these visual motifs that, you know, God knows what the hell it means. Coins everywhere. Coins, right, yeah. Dimes, but, um, yeah, but, um, but when, and then, and also in that same scene, I noticed that Shelly was wearing like red pumps. And we had had the red pumps with... Uh, uh, when Dougie saw it, when he was in the Las Vegas Police Department, when we thought he was going to wake up, and some people I think thought that was a, a reference to Audrey, but I just the, the red pumps was a callback to I think it was part nine, right, where Dougie was in the Las Vegas Police Department. Uh, also, last but, episode um, when Naomi Watts had some red flats, some sensible flats, so we right, see a lot of right. red shoes. The red shoes. shoes. Yeah. So and anyway, that, so that's what happens. She ends up stealing her mother's car. Her mother was coming to help her, uh, and so she steals Shelley's car. And uh, Shelly jumps on the hood of it like some like 1980s crazy <laughs> action movie. And she flings her mother, her own mother, off. Pulls a little right. like fishtail. Off she flies. There goes Shelly. Uh, and she takes off to go crack down her wayward man. Who, who, Dude, you did some research. Who is her wayward man with? We see well, one no. shot of him. He's hiding out. She doesn't right. catch him. She ends up, she's got a gun. And she ends up, uh, what, you know, emptying the, the, the gun through the, a door, but no one's in there. But uh, you you did some police work and figured out who uh, Stephen is with. Who is that? Yeah, I noticed. I didn't. I mean, it it didn't hit me on the first viewing. But when I saw the the credits, I usually look at the the cast list. 
um, for a number of reasons. But I saw Alicia Witt, who played Gersten Hayward in the original series, who was the piano prodigy. Yeah, doing the dun 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 dun. Like was, she was the one with the tiara, and the, you know she. And so she is Breaking Bad with Steve, and she is the good Hayward daughter. Uh, is is fooling around with Steve? Yeah, so he cool. must. She must be at least. I don't know, 15 years older than him? I mean, she oh, yeah. looks She's great like still, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that scene that preceded it was the, this POV, which was another... I mean, this just not in Lynch's, you know, toolkit usually, is this kind of like, kind of fast-paced POV down hallways. Usually it's more, it's slower. It's more deliberate, you know, more, you know, kind of the more menacing mood. But this one was frenetic. He was moving the camera all through the hallways and downstairs, and then what do we see? We see Stephen and 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 uh, Gersten Hayward looking up, obviously hearing the gunshots and knowing something is wrong. But that's a, a really kind of a big development because they really could have Stephen be with anyone. Why link it up with Gersten Hayward? And just thinking about it, and I'm I, I don't know what the intention was with maybe including Donna in the storyline because obviously she was such a huge character in the original series maybe the and whole hayward we, family got shattered after the revelation that ben horn is uh <laughs> is Donna's dad. that's and then, true you yeah. know the uh, dr hayward like didn't he almost kill him like in the last episode yeah but doc head. was uh he dropped doc to his knees like no no he, he dropped <laughs> right. one of those scenes yeah so you know probably messed up the family probably screwed with the kids heads and now they're fucking around with drug dealers yeah, but Doc seemed to be like, you know, in, in good spirits and, you know, doing, you know, fishing yeah. and yeah. during his little Skype session. But obviously his kids. But what I was saying was, is that maybe, maybe like, I'm not saying that they originally intended like Donna to play that role. But I think it's very, you know, curious that they would use Gersten Hayward. And it makes me think, obviously, that there's going to be, you know, future developments with her character and with Steven and or Becky at some point. And it's very exciting because, you know, Gersten Hayward, like you said, just had the one scene. So my thinking was maybe it was supposed to be Donna. They were in, That's how they were going to include Donna's character in the uh, in this series. But the, for some reason, maybe Laura Flynn Boyle didn't want to do it. Maybe they didn't want to cast a third one or bring Maura Kelly back. Who the hell knows? But uh, that was very curious. And uh, I'm glad to see her. We knew she was on the cast list. But I never would have put her together with uh, Steven. Yeah, so uh, that was a little, little clue. So then, like, she ends up getting uh, reprimanded by her mother, and this is the big reveal of the episode, which we all knew was coming, was that Bobby Briggs is her father. Um, you want to talk about that scene? Well, first of all, I want to talk about the scene. I loved it. Anytime we get the great Harry Dean Stanton, you know, we've got to, you know, got to talk oh, about yeah, I forgot Carl about that Rod. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's the one who actually, you know, he saw the scene with Becky, you know, with Shelly on the car hood, and he goes over to make sure Shelly's okay, and she, you know, she's frantic, you know, she doesn't know what to do. And uh, she asks Carl for a ride back to the double R. And Carl pulls out this, like, just long whistle. Like, I don't know if it's a dog whistle, kind of yeah, like the whistle. Little... <laughs> 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 and, like he's a cabbie, sir... in, like in a downtown, yeah, like a hotel. He's calling. Well, and he Carl summons, yeah, and the, the van. Yeah. Uh, and the van shows up. And then we've got the scene with Shelly and Carl in the van. And if you notice, Carl's got this setup. Like, he's got like an ashtray. And then at some point he opens up this little panel or whatever and pulls out like a CB, which is connected to the police department. Deputized at some point, (laughs) so he probably still got that hanging around. So So, Shelley was in a pickle about what to do, and he was like, "Dude, call your call Bobby." And so he just happened to be able to you know contact the the police department in the car. And so that was a cool scene. I like that for sure. Yeah. So that was yeah. So that was the the first reference that we have to like Shelley and Bobby. 
um, Carl was the one that I think suggested, well, why don't you call Bobby? And uh, and she still didn't call him. She was still talking to Norman. And he took the initiative. So, uh, but then that would lead into um, the scene, and we can talk about this, even though it's not uh, in exact chronology. But that scene at the double R with you know the whole family, Bobby and Shelley and and Becky. And do you want to go ahead and uh, you know talk about your um, thoughts on this scene? Uh, it was just it, it kind of showed that they're both like not really great parents. I think I think Bobby's working or they're estranged, either they're divorced or estranged. But he's not there as much to, to be the disciplinarian. Her he wasn't when she was a child. She's a grown woman now, and uh, but she's clearly been. Uh, hindered by, I think Shelly is not really a great mom, and so <laughs> she's not really able to, like, you know, you're going to pay for the door. She's like, I'm not paying for that door. And uh, so Shelly says, okay, I'll loan you the money. So, uh, but, you know, Bobby tries to chime in and be a good dad, but um, in the middle of their conversation, it's interrupted by a, a bullet, a, an assault on the double R diner by a sniper and uh, everyone ducking down for cover, <laughs> which completely freaked me out. It was, like, one of the more jarring things I think I've ever seen in a Twin Peaks episode when what we saw what seemed to be a sniper opening fire on the double R and Bobby turning off the lights. I was thinking like maybe when like the Asian man attacked Hank in the double R in like season two, like the turning off the lights is always a good move as soon as somebody shoots so they can't see inside. So they knew exactly how to react <laughs> to an, uh, a sniper attack. But then Bobby goes out and it wasn't a sniper at all. It was the kid, the kid like in a car just driving by ended up like shooting a, a gun and that nearly killed them. So, uh, but I didn't love the scene, but I loved, I loved the gun, uh, the bullet sniper interrupting it. So that, that was really weird, though. Well, yeah, I, I really I liked the scene a lot. And I, I liked the dynamic between, um, you know, Bobby and Shelly trying to, you know, be parents um, to Becky, who's obviously, you know, troubled herself and in a troubled marriage. And Shelly seems to be the, the pushover, the, she the enabler. She took a vocational school or something a long time ago. She's like, at the <laughs> right. store, like she's still making minimum wage. She's like 28 years old or whatever. You know, come on. So they're not, they obviously, have not, they haven't been around. And it actually is revealed because Red, uh, the drug dealer played by Balthazar Getty, like just knocks in the middle of their uh, family time <laughs> where they really should be paying attention to the kid. Knocks on the glass. Hey, babe. And so she's just, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Runs out there and starts like kind of making out with him. Uh, in front of his her daughter and Bobby, which was a really awkward scene and uh, very poor uh, mothering work, I think, on Shelley's part. Yeah, no, that was surprising that well, she would just, yeah. you know, at this, this moment where crisis, family crisis, yeah, and out? the first moment <laughs> she sees her lover, right? She doesn't even say, excuse me, or I don't know, even she lie. Out, she just yeah. runs she right out. Is she on Sparkle, too? Is that, the, is that the review? I think everyone's on Sparkle. Everyone's Everyone but Hawk, I think, is on Sparkle. I don't think Bobby's yeah. on Sparkle. No. No, Bobby, I don't think is on Sparkle. I think Bobby was on Sparkle at some point, though. Well, the Sparkle substitute. Still, anyway, but no, I think Bobby was actually, you know, um, he was, I think, in the right. He was trying to act as more of a disciplinarian by, you know, telling her, show, or, you know, yeah, telling her that, hey, look, if you were anyone else and not my daughter, you'd be in jail right now. And then telling her she has to pay for the door. And then when he does soften up, he says, okay, I'll loan you the money, but you got to pay me back and you got to make this right. And, you know, the next time Stephen, you know, falls out of line, he's going to take him down. So, I mean, I, I liked the dynamic. Obviously, you see the tension between Shelly and Bobby, but um, it's just another uh, interesting shade to his character from yeah, the he's really changed series. now. He used to be Mr. Cockshore, a, you know, young buck going around like breaking hearts and stuff. And now he's kind of been not cuckolded, but he's, you know, he's been uh, rendered uh, helpless because he looks like he might still love Shelley. 
you know, but she's uh, oh, yeah. she's, she's still not she's still addicted to the bad boy. And nothing changes with her. So. Yeah, so Bobby, like you know, turned you know, uh, turned to the the good side. You know, turned over, you know, well, just became grew up basically, and you know, went legit. And Shelley seems to be. Do you think he ever confessed to that murder in Firewalk with Me? <laughs> I think that would have prevented him from ever becoming a deputy with the Twin Peaks <laughs> Police Department. So I don't think that was ever I solved. See a few beers, you know, with Hog. Like I'm sorry, man, I killed a dude. I guess I, uh, he probably, that's probably still that's episode six or season six if they keep going. <laughs> right. But it also is uh, thinking about this scene now because I bet since Snake, you know, uh, Bobby's best friend Mike in high school. Is went legit as well, and is obviously a big wig at some local car dealership. And Stephen went to interview for that job, and I think it was what episode five, part five, five, and uh, and just called him out on his just you know just stupidity. And uh, it's just funny. Here we have Bobby and, and Snake, you know, two like they've grown up, they're legit in the community, and uh, I, you know, like you were saying back, you know, previous podcast. I wonder if they like. You know, go to the, uh, the the roadhouse and sit beers, a happy hour, and They're discuss this crazy younger generation, right? Yeah, let's go to hell. So it was. Uh, we're we're seeing a lot more. We were thinking, you know, or I was speculating, like, how the hell are we going to have time to, to delve into the Bobby, Becky, Shelley, you know, Red, and we did. And here it is. This episode it happens. Yeah, and I don't think we're quite done with it yet, but um, I'm glad that we got that scene um, with you know Shelley and Bobby together and Becky. Now this is. Uh, two episodes in a row, even though she was, it was just the one scene of, of Stephen abusing her, assaulting her. But we're getting some like momentum, and that's what I, I'm hoping. Well, I will for. say is like as drug fueled and ill conceived as it was, like for her to actually fight back with a gun, I like that Becky wasn't going to be a victim; that she was going to fight back. So that's good. Yeah, the odds yeah. she's not going to be murdered like Laura Palmer at some point. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if there's much time in the series left to you know have you know like. You know her if she is going to be the, the the new Laura Palmer. Yeah, I don't think so. Die and then you know the the ramifications of that. Yeah, so I, I don't know I don't know how the storyline is going to unfold, but I am glad that we're spending time with some of these characters and and spending more time in Twin Peaks and and uh, like I said, we'll talk about the Hawk and Truman scene a little bit, but we need to go into the zone right now, my friend. Yeah, that was really a bizarre. We were waiting for it, and we got it. And it uh, didn't look anything like I thought it was going to look like the zone. But uh, we got to see Dugpa's woodsman. We saw we saw Diane being very duplicitous and really proving that she is, uh, you know, she's on the bad guy's side. I mean, you know, literally, like, they show up at the zone, which is a house, uh, an old abandoned house. Like, we don't know where it is, but they there's, it's, it's got a fence around it, and uh, they have Matthew Lillard in the car, as we thought the, the field trip occurred. And uh, so Albert... And uh, Cole go into the fence, and they seem to know something's in there, right? They said, like, do you think it's in there? And he goes, like, we're about to find out. Um, so they think that they, they know a portal or something is in there that's, that's weird. And so they walk in, or, or Cole does. And I wonder, why would you send the elderly Cole first? I would like to send Albert, <laughs> someone who's, like, nimble. Or at least have someone, like, you know, in, like, Temple of Doom. You always send, like, the, the villager or somebody first to test it. Right. Uh, but he just jumps on it himself. He's very brave and a little bit crotchety. But he gets up there, and holy shit, halfway uh, up the, the property, uh, we start to see a funnel cloud, like a black hole forming in the sky, like... Some sort of lost type, uh, you know, CGI thing going on, and things are being sucked into it, like trees and holy fucking shit. It was like a, you know, a hole is opening up in the universe, which is the zone. And we started to see a, a little Dugpa images of little creepy woodsmen, um, you know, moving around. And uh, it looked like Cole and 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 uh, Albert saw them. They they saw the Dugpas, which we weren't sure that would happen, but. Uh, 
as it intensifies, uh, the only people that can see it is uh, is Cole, and so everyone else is just like watching Cole stand there, uh, stare at space. But he gets very close into the the zone portal, and he starts he breaks into this room, and it's like stairs, and there's like the woods, there's like three or four woodsmen on the stairs, and he's about to get sucked right in, and then Albert grabs him and pulls him back out, and. Uh, I think Cole was very nonchalant. He wasn't like, oh, whoa, holy shit. Like, he was just, like, pretty nonchalant about it. <laughs> I, mean, like, I would have been like, what in the, f-? you know, I would have been freaking out. But he was pretty cool. He's, you know, been around 50 years, so he handled it now. And uh, why don't you take it from here? What did you think of that? First off, what did you think of that uh, imagery? Because we've been waiting to see what the zone looks like, and we found out. Yeah, it didn't uh, match with what I pictured in my mind. Yeah, I thought I it would be more um, kind of rural, like maybe out, like in a, I think something like the end of seven, right? You know, where... Uh, you know, the middle of this open like field and, you know, and, uh, and then obviously a portal opening up or a parallel dimension. But so I was surprised that it seemed to be a place where there was some like people activity. Like it even looked behind. Yeah. We hate to be the neighbor. I hate to be the neighbors in this place. Jeez. Right? <laughs> this <values>. is, yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing that, um, there was a couple things with this scene. Day this and re- not day and not <laughs> over that room. But yeah. So, but yeah, so it's in the middle of a neighborhood. It's like a shut down neighborhood, but it looks, well, like yeah, that. it's still appetated or, you know, it's on the wrong side of the tracks. But the first thing I did notice was that they, that the Cole and, and Tammy and Albert are all packing. And packing heat, and uh, if you notice, Cole's got an old six shooter. Like Tammy and Albert have like kind of modern issue like yeah. guns, and Cole's packing the old like uh, archaic, That's you good. know, kind of like rustic revolver. Uh, revolver, basically, yeah. Which is yeah, which I thought was a, a nice little touch. There. Well, that would have served him no use in the uh, the zone, uh, but we didn't get to, we didn't we never saw Major Briggs pop up or anybody give him a message of any kind. Uh, so I'm not sure what that meant, but. Uh, while Matthew Lillard is sitting there watching all this shit from the car, we see Diane like staring, just kind of sitting there looking at Lillard, and we see a Dugpa creep up behind him, which is totally creepy as shit, and absorb into the car. And then like two seconds later, Shazam, there goes fucking Lillard's head exploded, just like Pulp Fiction. Uh, and uh, I think that what was the cop's name? But he had a great reaction. He was just freaking out. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> oh Detective Macklin. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I would have loved to see more blood, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but again, once again, Cole, Albert, they walk up pretty nonchalant. You know, but that Cole just says, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> well, let me just, I want to, <laughs> it was hilarious. I laughed my ass off. He's that. dead. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, I love that. Well, let me just talk about a few things. This really is, I mean, something that I think that, you know, we need to really kind of scrutinize. I think there's a lot of information here. The first thing that I did notice was the long shot. Of the scene, and uh, if you noticed, I think on both sides, on either side of the the frame, the left hand and the right hand side of the frame, we saw like electricity poles with the wires obviously connected. So I liked that, you know, because then when Cole and Albert went through the hole in the fence, we did hear some like electrical static. So I like that, you know, obviously we know that this whole episode we were hearing the major static, even with Becky, you know, see, this is like static. Yeah, they was turning it up this this episode the entire time. But then um, I think what when Tammy asked um, Hastings, she goes, well, is this the place? And he was like, oh, it is. And is this where you saw the major? And he, he confirmed it. But then and then, and then and then I think she asked him well, what happened. And then he said, like, I don't remember. And uh, which I thought, or he, or he said, I don't remember what happened. And which I thought was kind of curious because we just had a whole investigation or a whole interrogation 
where he yeah, pretty he's much already told us what happened. We already told us what happened. So um, that was a little, little curious. And then he's when, freaking out. I think being back there. I think it was he was. Well, yeah, no, obviously. And I think he I think he did see one of the cities, you know, at some point because he had he made a reaction or he he had yeah, a reaction. Saw, on everyone space. saw a city early on. Like at the very beginning a city was like lurking almost immediately and disappeared. Well, I don't think Tammy saw it. I don't think Mackley saw it because when we go back to the police department, everyone who saw it I think confirms it. Albert, Diane and Cole and well, Hastings obviously isn't there, but Tammy and, and Mackley didn't see it. But um when Cole like entered or got to that point, wherever the you know it, it looked like, it reminded me what you described as the funnel cloud it was like for me. It's it was like a vortex, and it was it wasn't exact, but it reminded me of part eight and that really that that transition scene from all of the sooties outside of the convenience store, and right before we see mother, you know we think is mother. Um, like you know, vomit out all of the eggs and the bob bubble right before that. There's a transition of yeah, it was like more artistic, very, but it was a very similar like motion. It was right, like, you know, a similar vortex or funnel cloud, um, which I thought was maybe like you know, a, like the rift or the the gateway, the entryway for this mother-like creature to enter and bring forth this evil um, to 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 our you know realm basically so and then I didn't know if it was birds or leaves that was being sucked, sucked into up. Yeah. and then Cole started he like raised his hands like his arms were like raised up like he was gonna catch something and Albert was closest to him and Albert I think could see that he was like in between or about to go because yeah they kept Cole, kind of that shot of him like that artistic shot of him seeing like you know it was almost kind of like Agent Cooper like, in episode three a little bit it was kind of blurring you started yeah, to see him kind of yeah. merging between the two worlds and right. Albert at least knew enough to pull him back you know what I mean I think that they're pretty wise to this shit I think no I agree I think on. that yeah I think Albert um, knew that Cole was about to disappear go into the zone. Because at that point, right before Albert pulled him out, Cole had the image of the staircase and the cities and knew well enough to, to pull him back. But there is something um, very curious about that really, really brief glimpse. Um, someone on Twitter um, sent us a, a screenshot of that, and they zoomed in. There's a little gap between the cities, and there's a wall behind them, and it looks like the wallpaper is very very similar to the wallpaper that was in the portrait that mrs tremont gave laura in firewalk with me that room that she went into in her dream yeah yep, so yep. that we've been talking could, about that that that's some sort of portal that painting on yes. her wall is a portal and it's <laughs> what is the implication it's going to be a, a woodsman like sarah palmer's going to be asleep at like two o'clock in the morning it's going to be a woodsman invasion just bursting through that painting into sarah, uh, laura palmer's room and just coming down the stairs <laughs> Well, I don't think that staircase is the Palmer staircase. I think it's it, it could be, but I don't think so. I think it's related to the painting, which is a room that we had never seen before. Um, Firewalk with me, and this is really the first kind of glimpse that we're getting since then. So my thinking is that it is another portal of some sort, and also it might lend like credence to the theory um, that when Laura entered that in Firewalk with me. There was a point where she was in her bed looking at herself in the painting that maybe like a part of her went like a doppelganger, like, you know, part of her went into that realm and never came out. And obviously Laura Palmer is the one, you know, the story that we, we you know, we followed after that and died. But that might 
somehow lend itself to uh, uh, like the reality of Laura being another you know, vessel, having another having another body, or being like a doppelganger. So when she does show up, we think in in, in this series, in a couple episodes, maybe even next episode, that that could be a, a key to it. And here we go, we see this 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 maybe this this call to that painting. So I think it's something. I don't think well, it's... Well, those stairs, like, I thought those stairs were in the Showtime trailer, like the 32nd, when it was like nighttime, maybe with like a flashlight or something running up those stairs. Are those the same stairs? Yeah, no, I think those are the same. It's the very first shot of that, one of the final teasers, and it looks like it's got like a shaky cam, and there's some like, yeah. you know, Lynch, uh, like electricity and Palmer strobe House? lights. No, I so I think... it was the Palmer House, but... No, I, I, sure. I thought it might have been the Palmer House, but now I think it's this staircase. Now, this could be... Also, another like you know, it could be like the not the convenience store, but leading to the convenience store. Um, it could be you know that that that's an interesting thing, is that room that Laura went into the painting that could have been something that led to the convenience store because obviously we associate the cities the woodsmen with the convenience store especially with part eight so they all may be connected and we also know that Judy who we have no reference of in this new series, was connected to the convenience store in Firewalk With Me, who's connected to Jeffries. So there's a lot to chew on there. And I really believe that all of those elements that I just mentioned are somehow going to like you know gel and come together in, in future episodes. Is it possible that all these cities could have spawned from Twin Peaks? Do, uh, that, remember that part in... The Frost book, like secret history, where like didn't a bunch of woodsmen die or people died in some fire, like on the river with logs that got like there's a backlog of logs and people died, like and, but it could have been potentially like eight woodsmen and these these might be the reincarnated ghost of those guys. Would that be a way to tie it back, or is that impossible now because these guys appear to have been created out of uh, the nuclear bomb, or maybe they were created well, before yeah. that? You know, I mean, I think that was 19 the turn of the century when those woodsmen died in the frost book so they would have been right. around um anyway well, i don't so think these guys are the antagonists now i mean here we are we're seeing them now so uh i still want to know more about them now yeah i don't think they're the main antagonists i think they're more like we call them the duck they're more of the um kind of the uh tricksters they're the you know the black you know sorcerers magicians and i think they're uh you know confederates of like you know of bob and um, I don't think that they were created, you know, from the atomic explosion in part eight. I think that they like, you know, existed as spirits um, well before then. They just are taking this form, I think, in like, you know, in our story. At least that's how I interpret it. Um, but um, well, I love later on when we finally uh, get the debrief with uh, Cole and Albert. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that they talk about that they saw it like dirty homeless men. Right. Yeah. <laughs> finally, right, they're yes. talking about it. You know, <laughs> so uh, I love that we got some city action in this one. Well, yeah, no, it's uh, that was uh, really it was a, a great scene and that whole set piece at, at at the zone. And I loved how well we. I mean, the the final piece that we didn't discuss was that you know the discovery finally of Ruth Davenport's body, which is like right there. You would think that they also maybe, were very nonplussed by that. Like that, that's Ruth Davenport's body, isn't it? Like they also weren't amazed that <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. Well, they've seen a lot, my friend. They've seen a lot. <laughs> I know of they're years, so yeah. jaded. They're, Holy shit! But yeah, Ruth Davenport looked looked pretty good. But worse for wear. It was still. Uh, you know, hasn't decomposed any further, so that has been in the zone, I presume. That's what. So Major Briggs's head is still up there, but maybe uh, it's still alive, and that's why it hasn't fallen out yet. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's the case. I mean, I don't know how like the, the her head and Major Briggs's body got back into her apartment, um, but there's also the you know discovery of the coordinates 
on her arm, which Hastings had said it. He had written. She had written it on her hand. Picture, yeah. Took it, yeah. Donnie Darko um, on his arm, yeah. Right, but I think that one of the big clues for me in this scene, since her body was discovered and the coordinates were right there, with Mister C's storyline, he's desperately wanting, not needing, wanting these coordinates. And if he was there with the Sooties and Hastings and Ruth and Major Briggs, then I think that he would have been able to get the coordinates at that particular point. They were right there on his on her arm. So I don't think Mr. C was there. Um, so that opens up uh, like a whole other you know set of like you know like questions because when Philip Jeffries said you met with Major Garland Briggs, I always assume since. You know, we've seen out you know eleven hours now that it was that moment. You know, in the zone with Hastings and Davenport. But now I start to to question if it, if that's the case. And Mr. C was maybe on the hunt for you know Major Briggs for a long time, and Jeffries was referring to something else. Yeah, and why why did they why do you think that the woodsman wanted they had to kill? Uh, yeah, you know, Hastings, Lillard? right? Like, why yeah. why would they even be concerned with him anymore? I, I totally agree. I don't know. I you know it, it, you know. The city, the first time we saw a city was in like the jail cell, you know, with, you know, Hastings, like two cells down where Hastings was there. And then we saw the next city at the morgue when, you know, Knox was there with Constance and, and, uh, and Mackley over Briggs's body. Um, so they've been haunting, you know, Buckhorn and here they are again at the zone. So I don't know why that um, they would want to like kill Hastings at that particular it's a very good question and I don't I don't have any well, answers and Diane that. was kind of posted up in a way that maybe she, did she expect it did she order it because yeah, she was standing there right no. next to the car and she and then she saw the, the city creep up and boy she looked really uh, there was a close not a close up but a medium shot of her and I actually stood up <laughs> to like look <laughs> at her eyes through uh, her, her sunglasses and I was like are her eyes black <laughs> I was like are her did she a doppel as well because she like watched the creeper come in the city come in and just like didn't say anything about it and she i think she knew that that's what's going to happen and they said like we got to call for backup and she goes like there's no backup for this or something like right, that right right yeah <laughs> so uh it was interesting to see that like you know that she i don't know if she ordered that or she but she knew it was going on and she's not terrified of the cities because she's uh all too she knows what's going on i don't know if she's she's with them uh but uh she's guilty as hell about something i think she's yeah i don't know if, i don't think she's with the cities, but um, she certainly wasn't freaked out by. Yeah, how would you I, not freak out? Yeah, <laughs> that right. was a creepy fucking. <laughs> right. he, he also had like white eyes. Didn't he have like devil eyes as well? You know, what I'm saying he was a creepy city, but he had some fucked up eyes as well. Well, they all do, right? They all have those kind of like bright, like too bright guess, white. Yeah. You know, yeah. But the death, the actual Hastings' death, for me reminded, um, or was, it was a reminder of. Sam and Tracy in New York City, the glass box monster. Well, yeah, exactly. It was totally glass boxed, yeah. Yeah. So is there a same connection Same modus between... operandi. You know, so right. they're doing the same thing that the, gla- the box monster's doing to them. But the city seemed to be able to be in two different, like, you know, spaces at once. Because obviously we had Cole, Albert, and Diane see, you know, the city. And then, like, we would see it, and then they would disappear. And then I think when Hastings was being attacked, like, you could you could see there was some camera trickery there. You saw, like, his eyes, like, kind of, like, flutter, like, almost like the Phyllis Hastings when she got shot. Yeah, I thought, shot. She, I thought for a second he was going to get inhabited by a city or something. Something, yeah. So I think that no one saw, because Mackley was in the car. I think that he, he didn't see that. That was happening, like, in a... 
like a different like space, you know, um, and then ding, and then it was there. So it's this whole thing with these two like I'm gonna say realities or like you know spaces or you know different parallel dimensions. But that was what I gathered from that scene, and, and obviously we got it with Cole going into or almost entering the zone, but seeing a sooty in like you know our realm and then disappearing and actually but still being able to move around and kill Bill Hastings. So. Um, it well, all I know is doubles. I saw yeah. I saw the, uh, the 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 flash when you see a second of on the staircase with the three woodsmen at the cities. They look pretty creepy, dude. They're like standing there with the eyes. <laughs> that's a great yeah. shot. That's a no, great that shot. Wasn't... If you freeze frame that, that's a really cool shot. That's that is. A but dude, you also notice also you notice at the very beginning, like once again, Diane's like, "This is as far as I go." She's not. She knows not to go <laughs> into this area. You know what I'm saying? She right. knows already. I think. Um, and does she have another uh, another outfit, another change of clothes? Yeah, what's like, going on? This is like Gilligan's Island or something. Is, why isn't she just taking a flop to the airplane, <laughs> drop her off the airport, and she'll just leave? Now she's still there. She's well, maybe, got nine outfits. So, maybe, But see, obviously they know that she's like, you know, because uh, Albert looks up later on and sees her like trying to memorize the numbers in a ridiculous childlike fashion, moving her mouth, moving her lips, like three, four, eight, nine. And Albert looks up and catches her. So uh, they know that she's uh, a mole, and I don't know if she knows that they know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, well. That was yeah. I mean, I mean, she. I mean, she had to expect. I mean, she's mumbling the words. Albert's right there. She must not care. (laughs) I thought she was gonna go. Hey, let me get a picture of this, like a selfie. Let's just with the with the body. Uh, well, you know what if, like, was. Do you think, uh, did, do you th- I would like to have seen a reaction shot of Matthew Lillard if Ruth Davenport's body just got dropped out of the sky. He would have been really crushed and ready to die. But they didn't. They didn't really seem to even be concerned with that. Well, maybe they're now together in the afterlife, like scuba diving in the Bahamas. Yeah, see, Valhalla to Bill Hastings, one of my favorite characters of the new season, and uh, so maybe him and Ruth are. Yeah, scuba diving in the, the White Lodge somewhere. So, <laughs> What happened uh, next? What's the next scene? Do you want to keep talking about Diane? Though I could talk about her for days. No, if you want to keep continuing and talking. Oh, oh well, there is, there's, there's, a, there's one thing that's very um, – another interesting tidbit about this scene. When they first pull up, um, I think – I want to say it's Mackley or maybe it's Tame. I can't remember who says it. but Or no, I, no, it must be at the end. I'm sorry. I, I've only just seen it the one time and I'm just taking notes in between. But um, – I think when Mackley called for backup, he gave the address, and the address was 2240 Sycamore. Sycamore, Sycamore trees. Sycamore trees. Oh, very good. Yeah. Dude, so, also one thing I noticed from the earlier scene when uh, I think it was Harry Dean calls in, and he knows the name of the dispatcher at the Twin Peaks station. Maggie, and then right? suddenly she starts getting call after call after call. Is that <laughs> is that the indication that all of Twin Peaks is going insane? Everyone's starting to kill each other? Well, yeah, that's so... That's, <laughs> they didn't I mean, really follow I'm, that up, but I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, right? No, I'm glad you brought that up because she said, like, after every call, or when she took every call, she said the same thing. And yeah, then we'll dispatching a unit, we'll dispatch a unit, dispatching a unit. So no, she like... says someone's on the way, which after hearing it like six or seven <laughs> times, it's like, well, someone's on the way. I, I, well, sure. no, but it's like, I think like, you know, it's, I mean, it's not like a reference of Mr. C, he's on his way, but I think it's like <laughs> something, someone is on the way. Like it's more kind of. Oh yeah. So I see the double meaning for it. Yes. 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 Well, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, that was another interesting touch. The whole town is going fucking snap crazy in this episode. Right. Uh, so what happens after that? We, we want to go back to Hawk and Major. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because that that's I mean, that's yeah, for me. That big, was 
One yeah, of my it's the big scenes. it's the big lore of you know we get a, this is the exposition scene we've been getting these and so this is basically Hawk's version of what he's absorbed from all the other storylines we've been hearing and he busts out this living map. <laughs> did he write this? Did he ever? Did he ever pin, put pen to this thing, or is it something passed down from generation to generation? What do you think about the map? Oh well, yeah, I would think the that Lord it was like he... was it in uh, Mark Frost's book? I don't recall. No, I don't. But um, I think, obviously, I, I don't think he, he... I mean, it's been around, I would think, for like you know a long, 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 long time. And obviously, he has access to it. But he gives some very um, interesting information, some tidbits related to their journey. Because, And I like the dichotomy, right? So when the scene opens up, Truman is on his computer and he's got the old GPS. Is the log like, lady called before or after? I forgot about her as well. The log lady calls, is afterwards, after but after. Truman is on his computer. He's like, all right, ding, this is where we're supposed to go. And it doesn't look like there's a road anywhere, or maybe there was a road, but there isn't anymore. And then Hawk goes, well, let me just show you this. And that's when he pulls out the living map. So we have the, like, the current, the modern, the technology map with this more you know kind of you know native american you know um it's a obviously map. it's it's yeah. hundreds if not it's thousands of years of yeah it's like on, written on an old treasure map scroll <laughs> right you know so i thought it was a pretty cool map i liked it no i did one like thing it. hey one thing i noticed though that it couldn't be that old because it has the twin peaks uh it has the Al- listening post alpha on there right it's almost kind of in the exact same spot that you predicted and i went back to the to watch the uh all the openers of each episode in there. I do think you're right that that one station uh, at the top of that mountain is maybe listening post alpha because that matches up with the map. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that it very well may be because I can't imagine any other like, you know, relevant or pertinent location in the series that would, you know, like that would be in that particular location. So I think that it very well may be listening post alpha. But I think that what, uh, what Hawk said was, he had like uh, it was the map, and you saw like the, the the peaks, the twin peaks, and then he pointed to the location that I think that like Truman on his computer it it, was, it correlated with his map near like on Blue Pine Mountain, and he said it was I think a very spiritual place, and then that's when he mentioned it was near the major station. So I don't think it was marked. Uh, on that, I think Hawk just, oh, he just pointed it. To, he pointed yeah, to that. I, area. I think yeah. so. I could be wrong, but I, that's that's how I took it. But um, then he starts talking about um, 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 like thing, like the fire symbol uh, and like a type of fire. Yeah, Truman asks and then him he, what that's all about. Yeah, yeah, and he says it's he said like it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, what it's like modern day electricity. Which I mean, come on, how cool is that? I mean, yeah, Truman. Modern, I was interesting. Truman goes like good or bad. Like that's interesting. He would say it like that. But uh, right. Wasn't Hawk say like depends on you know? It's the intention it. behind the fire, I think, is what he said. So maybe like with Hawk in the original series talking about the Black Lodge with Cooper, and you know when he would meet a shadow self, that he would have to have like perfect courage, and if he went there with imperfect courage, that you know his soul could be annihilated. So I like that line of like the intention behind the fire, and because it also corresponds with the Log Lady saying. You know, you know, Harry and Frank Truman are good men, and then if these are Truman. good, Truman, true. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, Truman, true men. And if these are really like you know, true good people, good souls, then I think if their intention behind the fire will allow them to proceed. And I think Major Briggs could have you know foreseen that as well. But um, Hawk also says that, um, that the timeline is all very sketchy. I mean, because I think their scene, like when they got the, the message from Major uh, Briggs, was in part nine. So you would assume that would be two days 
you know, uh, prior. But here they say, Hawk says that it's the day after tomorrow. So it's almost like it's the same night that they got the message. But um, I think that's neither here nor there. But he continues on and he goes and he mentions like, I think maybe Truman points something out. I can't remember. But there's corn. And we know what we associate yeah, I think, with corn. Yeah, I think maybe it's Hawk goes like, uh, I think the coordinates are leading us to here. And it points to the corn, the black corn. That's like right, evil, right? Yeah, which is a, a, a kind of like a symbol of like fertility. And then, but he said like the, the corn is black, it's diseased, and it means death. And then it's like the fire and the corn. And then I think Hawk points to something else. Yes, and, big black and true smoke. because it's black fire. I think is what it was, right? Yeah, black, black fire. fire. Yeah. Black fire. So then that's when Truman points out to the symbol that was on Mr. C's playing card that was on the message the that Bruce gave them. Yeah. Right, and he goes, well, what's that? We saw that, and then what does Hawk say? Doesn't he say, like... Uh, he goes, like, you don't ever want to know that. He just, it almost <laughs> is the same thing as the Duncan, yeah, the, the Las Vegas guy, I swear. He's almost the same. You don't ever want to know. Like, don't ever... Don't want to, I mean, which is odd, because you would think that uh, Hawk would just tell him. <laughs> or give him a you know, summary, but he does. He's very cryptic. He doesn't want to talk about it, but it must be the ultimate evil. Maybe even worse than Bob, obviously, because I think he would talk about... Did he ever talk about Bob? But anyway, so there's no mention of Bob on the map. But uh, there are there's there's was there only one of the mother signs, or were there more than one? I, I just saw the one. I didn't really scrutinize the map too much, but um, I think it was just the the one uh, sign. And then and then after that, I think that's when the log lady calls, and then she asks him what they found, and Hawk says that he can't tell. Yeah, them. why didn't he tell, tell her? her? Why, yeah, well, see, I don't. A, I, I don't know. Okay, so the original message from the log lady was. Um, you know, uh, I have a message know. for you. I have a message. You know, yeah, but it was <laughs> it was related to his heritage and, and Agent yeah. Cooper. But we thought that was the diary pages. But now the diary pages, that you know, narrative or that thread has receded, and we're going on the Major Briggs message to them, which will lead to Jack Rabbit's palace. But she tells them that um, where they're going, there's a fire where you were going, which is obviously the episode title. Uh, but she says she it said, like twice. She said her log is afraid of the fire as well. That there's fire where right. you're going. It was ominous. It was almost like you're gonna fucking die, dude. And then he talks like, "All right, thanks." And uh, yeah, <laughs> well, maybe, he said, didn't, maybe he didn't want to upset her because he knows she's dying. He didn't want to upset her, but like, yeah, well, we found uh, Major Briggs's headless corpse, and uh, you've uncovered an entire hornet's nest of evil. He probably just wanted her not to be too upset by it. But I would have wanted to know because you know the log's a genius. The log's like a soothsayer. I would be wanting to clue her on and everything. Right, he might not have mentioned it to our Margaret because you know Truman was right there, his boss. <laughs> Maybe that was the reason why he didn't mention it. If he why? was just by himself, well, it's a superior. Maybe he didn't want her, to him, to you know reveal like you know you know the their case, you know what they're working on. Oh, that's but, true. Uh, it's an open police investigation. I keep forgetting. It's an open police. police. But I think Hawk and Margaret go way back, and I think <laughs> that if Truman wasn't there, I think he would have said that. Yes, it, I found the missing pages. Thank you, Margaret. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think since Frank was there, I mean, I don't know, but that could. No, be you're probably right because Frank just got into town. I bet if it was Harry, he wouldn't have cared because like Harry was always breaking protocol anyway. I agree. But Frank is like, yes, yeah, so that makes sense. Very good. Yeah, observation. So, um, you know, one thing earlier, jumping back to the Dicky Horn thing, I was thinking about like relationships, and that that's probably why Dicky Horn didn't have the guts to kill Miriam in the first place because he's known Miriam. He's, remember, Miriam's like Dick, like Richard. Like they probably, they probably went to high school. They probably knew each other somehow. Right. And I was thinking like that's probably why uh, he didn't kill her. He's a, right? Isn't she like a teacher? Like her scene yeah, in the teacher. Double R, she's yeah. just a teacher. Yeah, you're nice probably teacher. right. That's yeah. That's that's good. So okay. So I think that the rest of the episode is devoted to the Dougie slash Mitchum brothers storyline. So you don't want to take us 
on this little uh, doesn't it start story? with the Mitchum brothers like the Mitchum brothers are having breakfast having some cereal flakes and uh, <laughs> Candy's ma- mixing them up she's obviously not giving them any lip today so they're just they're both in their kimonos and a uh, little awkward <laughs> awkward dialogue you know I guess Belushi's really wanting to kill Dougie they're meeting him at 5 uh, 30 uh, to collect the in- or we thought in the beginning that Dougie was going to stiff him right like but I, uh, we get a scene with Bushnell uh, before the uh, the brothers that says that somehow they did the investigating and that like it wasn't arson and that the money's gonna be they're gonna be able to give them the money after all. Um, so, but the Mitchell brothers don't know this. The Mitchell brothers are going to meet them and they think that they're gonna get fucked and so they're gonna kill Dougie, you know, and they're itching to kill Dougie. Um, so I didn't love this scene, but I didn't hate it as much as some of the other stuff I saw last episode with the Mitchell brothers. Actually, the Mitchell brothers kind of grew on me this episode, and so did Candy. Um, what did you think about this? Uh, these two well, scenes. I don't think I described the the Bushnell scene as well because I'm kind of bored by it. But one thing about that <laughs> was then how I loved how they they brought they lured Dougie into the meeting <laughs> with the coffee. <laughs> with the coffee. Yeah. Like the only way they could get Dougie into the fucking meeting is by like like a carrot on a stick, like, dra- like getting a coffee in front of him and dragging him into the room, boink, and stopping, and he's guzzling the coffee from Bushnell. I wish everyone would lead me into every meeting with a delicious coffee, but I thought that was funny. Um, do you want to expand on either of those? Yeah, things? yeah, no, I think you're, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with the, uh, the arson, but, um, I liked how Bushnell said like, you know, Dougie, you might want to know, you, you would think that we would like, you know, be in serious financial, you know, difficulty by, you know, taking a $30 million financial hit. But then Bushnell explains how like, you know, he, so I think he took out like a second claim and oh, I don't yeah. know the, inter- yeah, but then, then he, I love he doubled, the Bushnell doubled down. I love that line. Bushnell doubled down. So he's all happy and he's like, hey, normally, Dougie, these are, you know, kind of renowned gangsters. And, you know, we've got a couple like a hits on you. Like, you know, someone tried to blow up. Yeah, normally I'd be really scared you. sending you into the situation, but we're giving you 30 million. So they can't be really too pissed at you. So yeah. go have at it. We're giving Dougie, someone who can't like formulate more a sentence, $30 million, I thought was quite funny. But, okay, so Bushnell leads him out of Lucky Seven and then we get. That um, that chord, the Mr. Jackpots in the Silver Mustang Casino. Yeah, boy, boy, boy. yeah. yeah. and so we he some, sees yeah. the the one arm man in the yeah. lodge, like summoning him. And yeah. it's a long yeah. shot; you can yeah. like kind of miss it. And so it's he, like hiding in a bookstore, like some like pastry store or something, right? Well, it, it turns it's out working. I would imagine that it's a pastry store, but we don't know. So he walks <laughs> in, and then this was not the, the scene that follows was not really. It's more of a transition, but I didn't like it because it was accompanied by music, which is music that I don't really like. It was Viva Las Vegas, but it was oh, dude, I hated that. I, can't, <laughs> I was like, I, yeah. dude, when that came on, why is when that? They, fi- in they finally well, you you forgot to bring so, you, you forgot to miss something as he was walking to this meeting uh, empty-handed, right? And then he gets led into this uh, store by the one-armed man, and he comes. Comes out with a box suddenly. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. And yes. then they put him yes. into the limo to go see the Mitchell brothers, and we get this ridiculous <laughs> Viva Las Vegas. What was that all about, dude? I've never, I would never in a million years think that that song would be used in a Lynch movie. I completely agree with you. It was like a long, I was just, like a I, I was, I was, I was so afraid that the episode was going to end right then and there. You know, oh God! That would have been a disaster. Yeah. We've obviously had every episode end with some kind of like musical. Well, not every episode, but pretty much every episode end with some either an act at the Roadhouse or you know something with music playing over. And I just it got that vibe. It was like, oh no! So I hit pause 
to see what the running time was and I still had like 15 minutes. I was like, okay, yes. But I just, I like you, I couldn't really wrap my head how like this made it into Lynch's mind. Like, okay, I think, I'm going to use... Is that Dean Hurley's fault? Because I'm like, who the fuck signed off on that? <laughs> His I musical like, curator? Who was doing, all the, yeah, who was doing yeah. all the curating? Missed that one for sure, I thought. Yeah. Um, but I'm like someone who doesn't really have like, my, my musical tastes are very like, you know, kind of esoteric and I, I don't, I would have preferred the Elvis Presley version of that song. I think it might have been okay, but... Yeah, what was that? Um, like the Sheryl Crow version or something? Couldn't get, yeah, like, like, Bonnie Ray, Sheryl Crow, yeah, Melissa Etheridge, something. Ah. It was like something you would like listen like your parents would have on the car radio in like the 80s. Like, you know, it was not a good tune. But thankfully, it was that. not the end of the episode. So, uh, oh, one thing that we forgot to mention with the uh, the brief scene with the breakfast scene uh, with uh, Belushi and Nepper was that Belushi mentions to uh, uh, Nepper about his dream Oh yeah, the that's great. Night. Yeah, just like Mulholland Drive. That's huge. Dream. Yes, he a very had... ominous dream about today. Um, right. Did he describe any of it? The, any of the dream during the breakfast uh, scene? Uh, I think I can't remember if he. I think it was related to Dougie, but uh, I don't think there was any like big clues because I think Belushi said, "I can't wait to kill this guy." But he had mentioned the dream. But what happens is, so Dougie is being driven to the location where Belushi and Nepper are waiting. And they're in the car, and Belushi, like, the dream comes back to him. And you can see Nepper kind of like, it's not as he's exasperated, but he's like, you know, dream, really? Just like anyone, when, they, when anyone tells you, oh, I had a dream last night, your first response is like, ah, you just kind of sigh. Hey, let me tell you, know. you all about it, yeah. Yeah, so he tells <laughs> Except him the in a Lynch thing, movie, it's always very important in a Lynch Well, that's thing. true. Yeah, that's true. But the, he, the first piece of information from his dream that I think he reveals to Nepper was is that the cut, his candy cut, which he called it, which I did like. Yeah, um, candy cut. When, and uh, that was was healed in his dream, and he kind of forces the band aid, you know, off of Nepper, and he's kind of reluctant, and poof, you know, like it's gone. The reveal, yeah. it's gone. It true. Yeah. So, but then he can't remember that you know, other parts of the dream, and you can tell he's frustrated. So then, Dougie finally shows up, and you know, you they're they're gonna whack him, but then as soon as they see Dougie with the the box. Something snaps too with Belushi, and he goes, "Okay, Nepper." He goes to Nepper, and he goes, "All right, hey, look, you know, just got to go with me on this one. But if I, if, if what's in that box is what was in my dream, we can't kill this guy." And Nepper's like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And then he whispers in his ear what it is, and you can see Nepper basically go, "Are you fucking?" Ki-? So he goes, "Is that a cherry pie in that box?" He yeah, walks. He up just walks over with a gun. He's like, yeah, "Give right. me the fucking box." <laughs> right. Opens it up, and it's a cherry fucking pie. That's awesome. Why? I have <laughs> yeah. no idea. But and also, why is it in a giant box like that would uh, hold Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It would hold fifteen <laughs> pies. Not it wasn't a pie sized box. So it was. Well, don't you serious. think a pie box would have given it away? But They're this totally box, away, obviously, yeah. yeah. So that was it. So, but so, so they frisk them. Yeah, they frisk right? them. Mm-hmm. They they frisk them, and then they discover the uh, the check, and they it's thirty million dollars, and they you know are. You know, a billion. They're, they're they dance joyous. around. They're dancing. They're right. dancing. For howling. Joy. I think Belushi's howling. Yeah, they howl. Yeah. It's like Bobby and Snake did in jail. Like they have to do. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if Dougie would have ever actually given him the check, but uh, all of a sudden Dougie is their best friend. Yeah. So we cut to like celebration time. Yeah, Why don't celebration you take us? time. Let's hit the yeah. town. So we end up going to one of their clubs. I presume. I don't know what it is, but it's a it's a little uh, piano bar, and we have this awesome music, and they're having they're celebrating over champagne and cherry pie. 
and uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Candy, Mandy, and Sandy are there, and they looked really beautiful. I thought Candy, Mandy, and Sandy, I really uh, fell in love with them in this uh, episode. Um, but I love the scene around uh, the table where they were just like friends and old pals, and they were toasting. I swear I thought the Nepper Bros were going to kiss at one point. They toasted, <laughs> and they got close. I was like, are they going to kiss? But they didn't kiss. But they had to show Dougie how to toast, because Dougie right, had no idea right. how to fucking toast. And uh, so, yeah, and then another scene is that halfway through this, like uh, the, the piano bar sh- uh, changes a, to a different song and it's very melancholy and it's a wistful uh, thing that, that makes Dougie, uh, you know, look off. He's feeling something. He's sensing something. It's listen like to the sounds. Yeah, listen to the sounds. Mm-hmm. And so and so, uh, who shows up is the, the Mrs. Jackpots lady from oh. episode three or four who was the homeless woman who he helped uh, strike it rich and now she's rich she's, like, <laughs> no. she's all like and she, you know, it's wonderful and she's like this is the man he's the one that helped me and she comes over and thanks him for changing his life and you know all this stuff and it was a really emotional kind of an awesome I thought it was a great scene and the Nepper, the Mitchell brothers are just watching this you know they didn't, he didn't uh, the lady didn't thank the, the Mitchell brothers for owning the casino because they're the ones that actually gave her the money but um, yeah I thought that was a great scene and then the music it ends off and uh, did I miss something but we end with the piano guy and uh, I thought that was a, f- a great fucking ending and a great fucking scene. I want to start drinking champagne and cherry pie now. <laughs> yeah, Cooper said, uh, damn, uh, damn good, I think. Yes, uh, and he did it really good. in a good, he was like, damn good. Yeah. What did he say, damn good pie or damn good champ? Someone said it, and he repeated it. I think it. Nepper said, damn good pie, and then I think Cooper said, damn good. Yeah, he says but it, it was, fast, not like Doug, right. not like damn, he goes, damn good, damn, damn yeah. good. Almost like old school Cooper. And right. so no, maybe all the champagne seemed... and the music and the, <laughs> and the pie. And I love that they're, they're really the focusing on the pie, like cutting up the pieces. And they bring him another piece. He's shoveling down the pie just like he was the chocolate cake. And, uh, yeah, so, man, I thought it was fucking great. It was a fantastic scene. And he seemed uh, – Cooper seemed more um, – uh, Cooper-esque in this episode. Like, it, like even in the beginning, like his first couple episodes, um, it seemed like he would, you see the progression. But then there was a regression, in my opinion. He was becoming more infantile. But this episode, he seemed like he's on the precipice of like, you know, I think of awakening. Um, and uh, that line reading, the damn good, was like, you know, the closest um, Cooperism other than the you're lying that he said. I think he also said peculiar last episode, maybe. Peculiar, which was another word. But uh, yeah, this one, he said it fast, and he seemed to be moving faster. Um, And uh, yeah, I think it's a good indication we're going to see him wake up here pretty soon. Yeah, I think that... Do you have any final thoughts? Because we're getting close to... uh, We're we're almost uh, getting over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, with... uh, It's... Well, I want to just mention uh, that I think it's very interesting that um, the dream that Belushi and Nepper had, uh, or that Belushi had, obviously affected the outcome and pretty much saved Cooper's life. And right, you know, we had the one-armed man, the, the visual of the one-armed man summoning, uh, you know, Cooper to get the pie, which makes me believe that, well, obviously, that one-armed man and or the Black Lodge are assisting Cooper in his journey. And all of the clues were all related to the Mitchum brothers, the, at, you know, the Mr. Jackpots, the insurance claim, all this stuff. But my thinking is that perhaps that the dream that, that they, the one-armed man was somehow able to connect with Belushi and, you know, make him have that dream somehow. 
because it, it yeah, do you made think Belushi him... had a dream like episode three of the season one with Cooper like he was in the Black Lodge like eating pie like you know the... <laughs> well, I don't know but, but it's, I just think that there's something tied with that I think that it was influencer it's 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 now because I was thinking that this whole Vegas subplot other than like just Cooper waking up is just really just a not as interesting and be like what what does it all mean and now I think that you know if, if, if the, the lodge is somehow helping or assisting you know Belushi, I don't think that they're like you know Confederates are you know affiliated with the Lodge, but because I, I think it's was to prevent them from killing Cooper. But I really like that angle that like somehow maybe the one-armed man was able to penetrate Belushi's subconscious and give him clues, which you know availed themselves so he didn't kill Cooper. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the cherry pie saved his life, and how did that cherry pie get there? It came there through a dream. or through, right. it, came, it came there through the one-armed man giving it to Cooper, and then it also gave it through a dream to tell Belushi that not, to, to, when you see that in real life, to not kill this guy. So they saved his life again. Right. I have one other final um, uh, shout-out, or, or not shout-out, but um, thought. So if you wanted to say something first, maybe give uh, some of our... Um, details that you forgot last podcast. Oh, I know. Last time I forgot to say you guys can find us. Oh, we, we, I think we got our first email at choppingwoodinside at gmail.com but we'd love to hear more ideas, questions, feedbacks. We've been getting lots of great clues on Twitter and Facebook from you guys. Like We're all in this together, so I love how we're all teaming up to uh, solve this giant riddle. So, um, yeah, we, you can find us on iTunes, um, SoundCloud, Podcast Static. We'd love to get some reviews and some five stars so we can move up the ladder a little bit and to get ranked but uh yeah uh thanks a lot for all the stuff we've gotten we look forward to talking to you guys some more online uh and now back to your final thought my friend okay yeah so i just i mean i think that we'll you know maybe discuss this episode again this week but um because i think there's a lot more to chew on obviously i'm going to watch it a couple more times but i just want to say final thought is uh today is host murphy's birthday and uh yes, he's thanks. been uh he's been my best friend for uh, 29 years and uh um, he's a great man a great father a great friend and oh, thank uh, you so this is the greatest uh, greatest greatest present i could get is the new lynch on my birthday i can't think of any other birthday in my entire life where i've seen new lynch right so this is like the greatest gift i could have gotten so. right so happy birthday my friend thanks buddy uh on that note we'll see you guys next time thanks for tuning in